Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Arena Regulars podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Jeff. And we're your source for weekly drunken Magic the Gathering Arena content. Yeah, basically we're just regular dudes drinking some irregular beers and talking about Magic the Gathering in particular, their online client MTG Arena, and even more in particular, the new set coming That's out right. of the Dynasty. Heck yes. Mm. Man, I'm so excited to talk about this. Um, I will, well, I mean, we're going to do our first sips as we always do with our worth a slot segment in the second half. So stay tuned for that to know which cards we think are worth a slot for your deck. Uh, but first each week we both bring a beer. We drink Jeff's, then drink mine, rate them on a scale of bronze to mythic and choose the best for last. So with that, Jeff, what's on tap? All right. This week, uh, we are doing our Godspeed brewery tap takeover. So if you listened to last episode, we had a neon-themed beer and a Japanese-inspired beer, because, you know, that's what the set is all about. <laughs> uh, but the brewery that made that Japanese-inspired beer makes a bunch more, so we figured, hey, let's try them all. Uh, so I brought a beer called, just called Yuzu, and it's their Citrus Saison. It's 4.1%. Uh, and I mentioned a little bit about the brewery last time. I mentioned that I was excited when this brewery came to town because the head brewer uh, was actually the head brewer for a long time at my favorite brewery, which is Dieu du Ciel in Montreal. And I've also found out since then that he actually, when he left Dieu du Ciel, he did so to move to Japan and he opened a brewery there for a while before coming back to Canada. So that's the reason that I guess he has this Japanese inspired theme to his brewery. Yeah, that's good. That makes sense. Hey, you learn some things in another country, you bring it back to yours, and you share it. I like that. That's right. It's always yeah. always nice. Um, also, if uh, you're interested in seeing what the can looks like, you can go to our Instagram page. We post all our can art there, um, and that's uh, at Arena Regulars on Instagram. So go check us out. I like the kind of simplistic designs they have. Yeah, this place. it feels very much like it could be um, cloth. Like, it's like a print right. on a piece of clothing, um, which is it's nice. It's cool. I like it. Um, anyway, we have some magic news. Neon Dynasty is officially out, and it's freaking sweet, because, you know, what better time is there besides whenever there's a new magic set? Right, Jeff? I can't think of any. It's the best time. It really is. Um, also, we have an arena open on February 26th to 27th. So not this weekend, but the next one, and it is going to be Alchemy. So mark that down in your calendars. We finally know before an arena open is going to going to happen. That's nice. I know. <laughs> Usually I find out about these things while they're happening. Mm -hmm. but we've hit the last couple ahead of time, so that's good. We did. Um, if you've liked some of our Drunken Vorthos episodes over the last couple months, or a month or so, um, they actually released... This is pretty cool. This is the first time they've done this, I think. I haven't seen one before, but... They have a free Kamigawa Neon Dynasty digital manga comic. Um, you can download it as a PDF on the Mothership website, uh, watsi.com, and you can read it. It's, it's basically the Neon Dynasty story, but um, it's, it's fun to see all the art and how they've kind of interpreted some of the different characters in a manga style. Uh, so if you're interested, go check it out. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, pretty nice. Does the art style like match? You know how they have those alternate art cards that are in that uh, style yeah um no not exactly um 
Mm -hmm. The comic is interesting because there are certain plot points that are pretty much the same, but like there are little things that are different, but curious. Yeah. So, um, but definitely fun. It's a quick read. Um, obviously, uh, it is a manga, so you have to read it, uh, from right to left. So that if you, if you haven't done that before, um, it does take a little bit of kind of practice to retrain your brain, but after like a couple pages, it's doesn't even matter anymore you're like oh yeah i got this so sure um all right jeff i'm ready to talk about my first sips for kamigawa neon dynasty um but overall man i'm having a fucking ball i love this set (laughs) yeah i mean it's just a lot of fun uh so far so what so what have you done so far okay i have done two drafts and then played a bunch of standard nice (laughs) And I basically haven't veered out of that at all. Like, I don't think I played any alchemy or historic. It's just I've been really enjoying standard. Uh, and I did do a couple of drafts, but not. I, I wanted to draft more, but every time I logged in, I just was like, I'm in a, in a standard mood. Nice. Yeah. Even if sometimes I had intended to to log in to draft. I feel the opposite. Um, I, there were times where I would log in to be like, oh, maybe I'll try some standard. And then like, I look around for a second. I'm like, eh, I'm going to draft. <laughs> yeah, so, let's draft. Um, there's a free, the midweek magic thing right now uh, is a bot draft, a phantom bot draft. Um, if you want to go practice, if you haven't drafted it yet. Um, but I played one sealed and I've drafted the set nine times. <laughs> so <Wow. laughs> that's all I've been <laughs> that's doing. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't, you know. Some of those were double draft nights because, you know, the first one was bad. So you got to try another one that also went badly. But, yeah. hey, I've done a lot of them um, and I've been really liking all of it. And I just feel I barely feel like I've scratched the surface of what you could do in this set. So um, I am so pumped uh, to, to do some more. If we weren't recording tonight, I would be drafting it, like right now. So uh. nice. <laughs> Well, yeah, why don't we start start there then? What's, what's this limited format like? I feel like it is, it's so nice. It feels like everything is really viable. Like there are a lot of different strategies that all feel like you, it just feels like there are so many cards that I'm excited to have in all these different types of decks. And there are specific two color combinations that are focused on certain strategies but while that is the case, there are a lot of other cards from overlapping strategies that feel to fit into e- each other, all the different keywords. Um, so I've just been having fun kind of just, you can kind of just like play good stuff or you can play um, you, Golgari ninjas if you want to or, or a bunch of different things. So um, also splashing seems to be pretty pretty uh, easy so far there's a lot of fixing and a lot of colorless fixing um so it's just like hey have a ball see what you can do um because it's uh it's a good time it's a good time (laughs) yeah that's an important factor for any format right Mm -hmm. like how aggressively can you splash um and i feel like for a while the answer it's been a few sets in a row where the answer is like just don't bother Mm -hmm. it's not it's not worth it so it's nice to hear that they keep they keep turning the dial on that so that it's you don't just do the same thing every set we're going to talk a lot more about draft next week so i will try to hold some of my thoughts for that but um 
I just think there's a lot of wacky stuff you can do that does work. It just feels so nice. Like I don't, if you're playing vehicles, it doesn't feel like you have to go like full head on into vehicles, like you're playing that deck or not. It's like, no, like right. almost all the crew costs are like one and two. And there are a couple threes and only one four. That's a rare. I did notice that. There's a lot of like crew ones. Like really low costing crews. So you're like, oh, mm -hmm. okay. I don't even have to worry about getting specific creatures to crew stuff. It's like for the most part, you can just have a bunch of like one ones that will crew these pretty good vehicles. So so what's what's the secret to success? Um, I don't. How, how do I seven zero <laughs> my next draft? Okay. I I was only able to get the trophy once. Of all the nine times I drafted, uh, I trophied once, and I was playing um, black-green enchantment shenanigans. Basically, I think green is kind of strong just because plus one, plus one counters can be pretty strong, and so all their modify cards tend to focus on that. Um, yeah. And you also... There's the common black removal spell, um, Twisted Embrace, it's the, the two black black um, aura that when the creature gets plus one plus one, but when it enters the battlefield, you kill something. And there's also oh, a yeah. common four drop in green that bounces an enchantment. So there's a couple little things that you're like, oh, I'll just bounce this back, kill your thing again. Um, so that ended up working out pretty well. Just, hey, big green stuff with removal seems to work pretty well. Nice. Glad. Glad to hear Golgari, you know, killing it. <laughs> Got off to the early lead. Yeah, because yeah, was... usually Golgari's pretty shit. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's been like a year since Golgari was playable. Yeah, it's good. definitely not the big butts deck from last set. So <laughs> we, <laughs> we got some um, real, real options here. Man, they threw a curveball at me with that, you know, the four mana black sorcery speed removal spell. Having it be an aura that like enchants your own creature mm -hmm. I, I i opened that i was like i have no idea whether where to evaluate this like is this pretty good or is it one of the better commons i don't think it's bad i think it's hard for it to ever to have that happen to it but like the downside that you can't kill something if you don't have a creature is seems pretty big to me in in theory yeah it does have the caveat that you can enchant an artifact as well um, a lot of the, the auras okay. are like enchant a creature or artifact. So if you happen to have, uh, I'm just double checking to make sure that it does have that rider, but almost all of them do have that. So if you kind of gave like plus one, plus one and menace or something, it, it's just literally, um, plus one, plus one here. I'm looking at, yeah. Oh. Uh, enchanted creature or artifact you control. And it says, as long as enchanted permanent is a creature, it gets plus one, plus one. Ah, okay. I definitely like missed that. Um, in, when I was quickly reading it while well, I had to draft a card. Um, but yeah, I didn't end up taking it because I was just like, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm going to take something that's a little more obvious. So my first draft, I think, I thought it was a total train wreck. So I ended up in red-white. I didn't think I had any good cards, really. I had, um, I think I had a couple of rares that were the reason I was in those colors, but they weren't even uh, rares that you would, you know windmill slam pack one pick one mm -hmm. i think the deck had six or seven one drops uh, which if you know me at all i'm not going to be happy with a draft deck that has that uh, but i got like five wins with it and one of my losses was just getting screwed basically like i think i played 14 or 15 lands and i drew Ugh. 11 of them that game um but i had four of uh 
the monkey. It's like the monkey equipment thing. Uh, so that's why I had those one of you know four of my many one drops. Uh, but I think the wait, which monkey are you talking about? It's just literally it's just a one one that equips as a one one. Simeon sling. Yeah, it deals one damage. Oh yeah, and it, it kind of pings, but that never comes up. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> Literally just one ones that have reconfigured. But honestly, the monkey, this monkey sucked a lot less than I thought it was going to. And nobody else was taking them. And I was just like, I guess this is the draft where we find out if, if the if monkey's good is, is good. Because uh, if, if the monkey is good, that means reconfigure is really good. Mm-hmm. right? Because the monkey sucks. <laughs> uh, and so it, it turned out surprisingly well. So I'm going to have to like keep an eye out on reconfigure. Because there were a lot of turns where... I just felt like I couldn't do anything, but then because of reconfigure, it was like, well, actually, you know, this is going to be really annoying for them to block. Uh, and, you know, just equip all three monkeys, get in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, um, I do have um, a lot of experience playing with Cloudsteel Kirin, which is the, uh, the white three mana, three, two, that with flying. That when it has reconfigure for five, but when it's equipped to a creature, that creature has flying and you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I have a play set of this card now because I've opened it that many times and I've played it. Um, I don't like it. It's not, I don't think it's good. Um, I think it's, It doesn't sound that good. It sounds very clunky. No, it's a three mana, three, two with flying in white. That's great. And just right, that part is like you're happy. Stop with. reading the card. Don't don't right. Don't unless you're playing like uh, Simic, good stuff. Kind of ramp into whatever with like protection. That green protection spell, the Tamio's uh, whatever, um, where you can give it indestructible. Because um, otherwise, when it's like equipped to a creature, you're like, eh, I guess I won't block anything. And then they just like bounce your your guy that says you don't lose the game when you're at negative 26 life. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of that kind of shenanigans. Yeah, <laughs> I will say if you're ever wondering, if anyone's wondering about Cloudsteel Kirin, if you are at negative life and you want to move the Cloudsteel Kirin from one creature to another creature... You can. You will not die okay. in between. Right. Um, because it doesn't unattach and then reattach. It yeah, just it just attaches. attaches. And so there will be no moment where you don't own a creature that has that ability. Um, so one game where I was good to know. I was like tanking pretty hard. I was like, yeah, I might as well just learn this lesson right now. Either I die or, or I... Um, I was going to say, like, I would be pretty sure that I wouldn't die, mm-hmm. but definitely not 100%. So that'd be like a nerve-wracking moment where I'm like, I need to move this to give this flying to win. Mm-hmm. But do I lose? But do I, I lose? Do My main thing was, I want to move this from this uh, creature that's... Um, I think I was playing its white, and I didn't want it to have, like, power of toughness over four. For some wait wait no that doesn't right. make any sense because this doesn't buff uh, power why did I oh no no because the creature it was on there are removal spells that could kill it if it has yeah high power the creature that it was on had a high power and I just wanted to move it to a smaller right. one that had ward and I was really worried I was like am, am I gonna die at this moment um, so it ends up it works it works so uh, if you do happen to be playing that game um, I say either play an aggressive deck where you just want a flying three two. Or a deck that has lots of counter spells and like that one drop in green that 
gives it instructable. Yeah. Wizards is pretty good about stuff like this, though. If, like, a new player wasn't even thinking about that and just was moving their equipment mm-hmm. and just died, like, that would be a really poor yeah, that's experience. True. So they wouldn't design a card like this, I don't think, if, if, that's, if it didn't work properly. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. In the old days, they definitely would, though. So, like, those of us that grew up in old school magic, where there was a lot of gotchas, yeah. <laughs> just like, oh, yeah, the, your opponent's like, you lose, man. Better luck next time. <laughs> and you're like, what? what? And he's like, you just don't know the rules. And like, literally that, <laughs> I mean, like, sure, there's a learning curve of not knowing the rules and like losing, but not so bad that you just die. Yeah. So the worst gotcha you'll have with reconfigure is like, if you attack something, let's say you have a two, two, you equip it to make it a three, three, and then they block with their two, two. If you unattach, your thing will die. That's a trick that like most of us magic players have learned the hard way with some interaction similar to that, right? Mm-hmm. Cuz you're not thinking about it, you're like, "Oh, move the equipment to, you know, put it on my blocker." And then mm-hmm. your attacker dies. Yeah. Um, that's just something that's going to happen to people with equipment though. Like that's yeah. not a reconfigure specific thing. Um, that's so that's more of a you've already learned your equipment, your equipment lesson, moving lesson listener and uh, yeah. yeah, you know. I think the biggest thing with that is remembering that n- some of the reconfigures do give stat bonuses. So know which ones those are. Because you might think in your yeah. mind, oh, it was just giving it uh, haste or whatever. But no, it actually is giving it plus one plus one. Don't forget. But uh, oh, but, I mean, but Arena is pretty good at showing us that. So I'm not really worried that people are going to make that mistake. But yeah, anyway. it, it's a mistake. Like even I've, I've made it after oh. playing for a long time, though. It's just like you're not thinking. You're like, oh, I should just move this. And it's always the time when moving it was also just didn't matter. Mm-hmm. So like, you were just doing it to be technically the correct play, but you don't think it's ever going to matter. And then it actually ends up being by far the worst play. Yeah. There were so many things I've done recently that were just like stupid. <laughs> like, why did, why did I do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, and most of the time it's because I've been having a lot of beers. And it's like literally, all right, yeah. attack with all my ninjas. The one that's flying, I'm going to ninjutsu in the lord. And then my 3-1 will beat their 5-5. Five five. I was like, nope, it w- no, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> the 5-5 will still lose to the 5-5. It'll five, lose but... cleanly, and I will have no way to kill that 5-5. Uh, five five. Good job. You just jump attacked all your creatures. <laughs> so, yeah. hey, you know, sometimes beer is not always your friend when you're playing the game, but uh, it'll make the, the losses sting a little bit less. My block with, or like my mental block with ninjas has been like, because I always think of the ninjas as having ninjutsu, I think of them as having evasion. Mm. And so I almost like attack with them on the next turn. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. This thing's just a 2-1. I can't yeah. attack it into a 3-3. Three, three. Like, <laughs> and I'm thinking about ninj- what I'm going to ninjutsu in after they don't block it. You know, it's just like nothing because nope. they're going to block it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, with that, do you want to move into Constructed a bit? Because I know you've been playing some ninjas, and I want to hear about your experiences. Yeah. yeah, all of my ninjas' experiences has been in Constructed. So Okay. Yeah, so the first thing I did, like I told everyone I would, is built a ninja slash rogues mixed deck, blue-black. I took my old rogues decks, I cut the cards I liked from it the least, and replaced them with the best-looking ninja cards. Um, it's been a lot of fun. The deck definitely has some chops. It's not overpowered or anything for sure. I don't I wouldn't expect it to end up being tier one. Mm-hmm. But it's so much fun. It's so fun. Uh in particular I really love the one drop ninja. The ninja of like a thousand right faces. Now. 
Yeah, something of, of the many thousand-faced shadow there. Yes. This card is awesome. Just giving you the one mana, one one flyer to ninjutsu later is great. But you can win. If you ever want to try this deck out, what I'll say is that if one of these is in your hand and you're getting through with a couple attackers, you can probably win. Because you like. You basically there's this interesting chaining thing you can do. Like if you have the lord out, it makes this cheaper. And you put this in, copy the lord, which then makes the next one even cheaper. And you can often do it again on like five mana, where it doesn't look like you should be able to do it because the ninjutsu cost is four. But because you're copying the lord, the first one will be three and the second one will be two. That's the thing that's not obvious with ninjutsu. It doesn't have to be all at once. So you have your declared attackers that are unblocked. You ninjutsu in one of them. You can let that happen, let that trigger resolve, and then ninjutsu for one of the other unblocked attackers. You can, like, chain ninjutsus. And often, just by copying the lord with this guy, you could just kill them from kind of ridiculous life totals. You have, like, three attackers, and then all of a sudden they're getting hit by, like, four four fours. It's like, wow, I thought I was taking three. <laughs> you had, like, a couple of one ones. Um so the thousand faced shadow, I think, if this deck is actually any good, it's because of that card. Yeah, and and obviously the the lord that ties it all together, mm -hmm. the the rogues slash ninjas get plus one plus one. Absolutely, um, yeah. I definitely this card is doing basically what I thought it was going to do when I saw it previewed. Mm -hmm. um, but so you gave me your list, um, and I have been having a really difficult time playing it, and I know a lot of it is just my problems playing the deck um and it's it, wacky it's wacky um because it has it gets me in my in my rogues mentality every time i'm playing these rogue cards because i'm like all yeah. right so i just need to get my <laughs> uh drown in the lock and then <laughs> i'll be able to do whatever right. i want and i get like focused on like milling them randomly and i'm like wait i don't really <laughs> <laughs> so what i'll say is it's pretty much nothing like rogues mm -hmm. when you actually play it because the deck doesn't really do the whole like i don't want to say it's not instant speed but it's not instant speed in the same way because ninjutsu is during your turn so most of what you do is during your turn and it's kind of like one of those old tempo decks where you get ahead one drop two drop three drop and then you hold up interaction for the rest of the game until they force you to commit more mm -hmm. And it's kind of one of those things where that's where the the thought soaring thought thief is good, is because it lets you hold up interaction, and then if they don't wipe the board, you just flash it in, and, and they're probably dead. So that's kind of it's much less like rogues, where rogues was like you basically never tapped out on your own turn. Mm -hmm. This deck always does all the time. So yeah. uh, that's a good and, tip. And you have like Kaito and stuff. Yeah. Kaito is awesome. I do like Kaito a lot. Yes, he's been really good for me. Uh, just I've re I took out all the ways I had to card advantage basically from rogues and just tried to replace them with Kaito, and it's that was the right choice, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think Kaito's uh, quite strong, and I, I like it just getting you whatever you need at that moment, um, whether it's going to be the one one that gets through that you ninjutsu something else in. Or literally just bodies that are, you know, you might have a couple lords. You're like, you know what? I just need another unblockable body. So let's get that in there. Totally. Yeah. Um, it's been cool. I have been struggling with it a little bit. So uh, with that, I, I ended up switching to a, um, 
just best of one mono red list because I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm playing mono red. <laughs> yeah. I want to see. Mean, what I mean, this... I don't want to give too much away of our future sections, but I think mono red is, is the truth again. Yeah, I think it could be. Um, I've been having uh, like success with it. Obviously, I'm playing best of one, so I don't have to sideboard or deal with any of those things. I just felt like throwing some stuff on the table and like attacking really fast. But man, it's uh, it's back. I think it's it's really back. The, yeah, the last thing I wanted to say about the ninjas deck though mm-hmm. is that I haven't made any changes to it. But every game I play, or like every match, um, it feels like at some point during the match, I'm like, I wish I had Biting Palm Ninja in my hand right now. And so I'm only running two of those. So that's usually mm-hmm. the indicator that you're not running enough of the card. So that's the one that, like, is the 3-3 three, three that Ninjutsu Zin and Thought seizes them. Um, which you can also copy with uh, Thousand-Faced Shadow. Yeah, And the copy will enter the battlefield with uh, the Menace Counter. So it works that it'll, it'll Thought seize them. Yeah, I, I agree. That was the card that I thought was um, a lot better than I originally thought. I was thinking I didn't I love it. I thought it was a bit too, like, slow or clunky, you mm-hmm. know, just from reading it. But just playing with it, I'm always like, I just wish I had that card on turn three every game. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, also, like, it felt pretty good to just play a three mana three three with Menace that if I hit them, I get to Thought Seize them. Oh, yeah. All the time. I do that. I was like, yeah. you don't have to ninjutsu it, especially because it's ninjutsu cost is the same as its uh, casting cost. So I'm like, I, I just want a three three Menace. That sounds really good right now. Totally. So Or you just, like, ninjutsu it as a way to pick up your thousand-faced shadow more than anything. You know, it's like... <laughs> I just want that back in my hand. Yeah. I was wondering with the Ninjas deck that um, I, I know you are not a big fan of the Merfolk uh, Wind Robber. Um, I'm also okay. not a big fan of it. Have you tried playing yeah. with the Network Disruptor, which is the other rogue from this set? That's the one mana, one, one flyer that taps something. Oh, I didn't even realize there was another uh, rogue. I, I definitely was thinking about cutting at least one. Uh, mm-hmm. of the wind robbers though yeah because this is like the this card jumped out at me in draft it's the blue one drop that's an artifact creature with flying um mm-hmm. and when you have a bunch of them it's one of the big ways you can ninjutsu in draft because it's obviously the sweet blue one drop um and it also makes right. it easier to get in and it's a common and it's easy to get in because you can tap down whatever flying blockers you don't want to deal with um mm-hmm. But I was wondering if if it would go into that if it if it could be played in standard or if it's just too weak. It's definitely possible. That my initial thought is like it feels just a bit underpowered for mm-hmm. standard. But these types of decks are synergy decks, right? So the individual cards generally are weaker than what you'll yeah. see in other decks. Yeah, uh, I wonder. You know, the sum has to be more than the or it has to add up to the sum of more than its parts. Yeah, exactly. You know the expression. I didn't say that right. Yeah, what I don't I don't really know what it is either, but um, more than the sum of its parts. Exactly. Um, but I've been seeing all kinds of stuff in standard. You know, I've been seeing like red black sacrifice decks, uh, which yeah. I'm uh, super jealous of. I've seen <laughs> all flavors of control. Um, I guess they're almost always blue, but the black white decks are even pushing their way in, into being considered control decks. Yeah, I've seen that. Esper decks, Bant decks. I've seen um, like white blue spirits that I'm not playing. Somebody else is playing. Um, it's uh, 
I haven't seen a... I played a game where my opponent kept countering all my stuff with mirror shell crabs. That happened to me. We <laughs> talked about that a little bit. <laughs> like, I, I love that I so think much. my opponent drew island, island, island for mirror shell crabs. Yeah. Key. But <laughs> The other thing about mirror shell crab is that you, you can like counter ninjutsu because that's an activated ability, mm-hmm. right? So you can really fuck them up. <laughs> Give them really bad blocks yeah. or bad... Or sorry, bad attacks. Um, but... Uh, just waste their turn. Pick up your creature. Don't play another one. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, that, that happened to me. So. Yeah. Because so, I was like, wow, it's a control deck. What are they going to do about this? Um, they don't, like, because they didn't have black mana to uh, kill my thing. So I was like, all right, I yeah. guess they could bounce it. But um, that's not just bad. Felt worse. The fact yeah, that it was the crab felt worse. <laughs> the crab. I love the crab. Um <laughs> But standard feels so different. Like, I haven't run into any... No, granted, okay, just so everyone knows, I am in silver. Elrond's Epiphany? Yeah. I haven't... Yeah, well, I haven't run into Elrond's Epiphany <laughs> because it's banned. Yeah. But, um, like, blue-red spells decks, not a single one. You know, I haven't run into mm-hmm. mono green at all. I maybe played one deck that I think I thought was mono white, but it actually had a couple other colors in it. So it was a bit slower. Um but yeah, it's a uh, it's a different it's a whole new world out there. Go check it out. I got torched by blue red dragons a few times, so that mm. that's still around. But all right, I haven't seen it so far. That's but. one of the things that makes me wonder if my deck is tier one when you play against a deck like that, and you're just like, man, I got all sneaky and did all this shit, and they just slammed Goldspan Dragon, and I feel like there's nothing I can do now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were just like, oh, I'll just slam the best card in the set and attack you with it. Your go. And I'm like, but but I did all these cool ninjutsu tricks. I, I, didn't you see it? It was really fun. No? Oh, dang. Yeah. Yeah, that's rough. But anyway, I'm excited to see what how everything shakes out and what the uh, the decks will fully um, kind of become uh, in the next few weeks or so and then what the meta is going to be because, you know, this is the fun time where everything's kind of crazy and we don't know. So for sure, I'm excited to see where, where things land and, you know, how well Mono Red is going to do. Yeah, I don't know when the set championship is, but I'm excited to see what decks are brought to that. Didn't it already happen? Wasn't it previously? <laughs> yeah, I would assume based on what they usually do that it happened like it literally last week. Yeah. Uh, last no, so with no Kamigawa cards allowed. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Fuck. Um, we were laughing earlier about how the arena open is alchemy, and the new Kamigawa alchemy cards aren't going to be released yet for that set i'm pretty yeah, positive so, they're like the week after or yeah something, but. so it's like oh good <laughs> classic yeah. wizards um yeah just make it standard then like <laughs> anyway uh, but jeff um are we ready to go to a beer break yeah I'm, I'm ready for that time for a beer break this beer break is brought to you by our patrons over at patreon that's right you're already supporting the show just by being a listener but if you want to support the show even more the Patreon is the best way to do that. And when you become a patron, you get an exclusive invite to our after party, which is a mini episode recorded immediately after this one where we talk about stuff, just other things, <laughs> more and more stuff. And best of all, you get to vote on which co-host is your favorite. All you have to do is go right over to that Buy Jeff a Beer button, click it, maybe even click it twice, uh, and that just lets us know everything we need to hear. Or, you know, you could also vote for both of us. You don't have to vote for just Jeff. 
Or, no, 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 no. you should vote for me. <laughs> That's what I'm supposed to say. You should vote for me. <laughs> Buy Zach a beer. Did, did we Don't... put that button up? Yeah. We did. I made sure. I think so. Go. You know what? How about you go to patreon.com slash arena regulars and see if we put that button up because I can't remember anymore. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. <laughs> you all missed that. But uh, because these beers are smaller, we have two each. Just, you know, to make sure that we're drinking enough beer. Yeah. And we tried to crack both of them in each of our hands at the same time. It's very difficult. And that's why you heard me struggling because I don't do my hand exercises. My hands aren't as strong as they used to be when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Yeah, I got them. But my left hand, uh, it was a little aggressive because I knew oh. that it was weaker. And so I got a little bit of a, a splash across my desk. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, wouldn't be the first time, Jeff. Um, all right, so we are, uh, of course, still drinking some delicious Godspeed beer. And um, I have brought Atsukarasama, which is a uh, Dortmunder, and it's 4.8%. And the uh, the art, is, as before, like we were saying, um, like a really nice design that kind of looks like it's ink on cloth. And so this has kind of like this good blue hue to it. It's almost like tie-dye, but all one color, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it definitely looks like a tie-dye type of thing. Um, Jeff, remind me of what this word means, Atsukarasama. Yeah, so I just punched it into Google, so it's, you know, it's... Uh, true. It's the truth. It's <laughs> a little, little risky to just yeah. say this is 100%. <laughs> um, but from my understanding, Atsukarasama desu is like just a sort of formal greeting that you might say to a colleague in Japan. So showing up to work or going home from work, and it essentially means like, good job, like good work, or thank you for your hard work. It would be one website suggested was the closest English literal translation, but that's not really what you're, you're not like literally using it like that. It's more gotcha. of a greeting. That's nice. I like that. Um, perfect. And a Dortmunder. We've had one of these before, I think, but uh, it's always good to have some more. I definitely find it interesting that it's like a Dortmunder. Is the the Japanese beer is called, but then the style is a Dortmunder. Wouldn't have expected that. But. It's yeah, it's very different than uh, you know. I wouldn't expect that from a Japanese brewery, but uh, hey, this is a Japanese inspired one, so we get the fusion, right? That's what. Uh, we're all about. Are, are we all about the fusion? No, sorry, not us. Did we I talk meant... about that or <laughs> no, we no. adapted our mission statement? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I meant like not us, but like people, I guess. Like Asian okay. fusion is like a big whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right, Jeff. I, I guess North America in particular, probably. Yeah. That yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> Jeff, do you know what time it is? Um, it's about oh, you what time? Oh, you mean that? Mm -hmm. uh, no, what time is it? It's time for our worth of slots. Boom. So, uh, at the beginning of every set, we like to tell you what cards we think are worth a slot in your deck. Um, and we have three different tiers-ish things of it. Um, and we went with the most obvious and easiest to talk about, um, which is basketball terms. So, Jeff, do you want to ring, yeah. us, ring us through? No, that's not right. Do you want to run us through all the different terms we're going to be talking about? <laughs> our basketball terms. Sure. Um, so, first up, we have our layup. So, this is the card that 
you know, it's pretty much a gimme. It's for sure going to be good. Although if you've ever seen me try to do a layup, you know that it's far from 100%. And so, uh, <laughs> and, and you'll find that with our layups in this section also. So it, it matches. Uh, then we have a three-pointer. These are sh- cards that, you know, we think they could end up seeing some play if things shake out right for them, but they're they're not a guarantee. And then our half-court shots. Um, these are like, they're more just cards we like and want, wish were good, but are almost certainly not going to be good. Mm-hmm. It's like you want that half-court shot to go in and tie the game for sure. You, you'd love that, but it's you acknowledge it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, probably not. Um, we also might talk about what we think the funnest, fun, funnerest, fun, funnest card is. I like funnerest. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, funnerest, funnerest. Yeah. Uh, the the most or fun we could card. Up it and go funnestest. Yeah, yeah, funnestest. There we go. The funnestest card. Most funnest. Yeah, the most funnest card of the set. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, to start us off. Um, I'll go first, and the uh, the card I decided to use as my layup is a card I've wanted to talk about for a while, um, and it got spoiled uh, early into the set, but uh, after playing it, uh, I've been really, really impressed and having a lot of fun with this card. It is the one and only Wandering Emperor. It's two by white for a three-mana legendary planeswalker. She has flash, and as long as the Wandering Emperor entered the battlefield this turn... You may activate her loyalty abilities anytime you could uh, cast an instant. And it has plus one, put a plus one, plus one counter on up to one target creature. It gains first strike until on a turn. Minus one, create a 2-2 white samurai creature token with vigilance. And minus two, exile target tapped creature you gain to life. So, I really like this card because... Well, as you know, most of the time, I don't really like Planeswalkers. I think we might have alluded to this in the last episode, but um, they tend to not just not really be one of my favorite uh, card types. Um, but this one is a combat trick, a token creator, and a removal spell, which I think is really great, and all of those things at instant speed. So it has two main applications, either slotting into a mono white deck that wants to have some sort of instant speed interaction slash whatever all of the three different modes that it can do um especially giving you more bodies with vigilance is great um but i think what it's really going to go into is a bit more of like a control shell so that you can have like instead of having the turns of deciding whether you're going to play your uh your planeswalker or hold up counter magic you get to do both and I think that's where this is probably going to slot a little bit more into is being a removal spell with uh, a value engine tacked on while holding up counter magic. Yeah. So the first thing I want to say about this card um, is just a general props to wizards with something they did in this set. Uh, I think they're experimenting a little bit here, but both the Wandering Emperor and Kaito have abilities that would be busted if they were repeatable, but they specifically made them just on the turn that they enter the battlefield. Just on the first turn you play them, uh, they do something really cool that if they couldn't kind of make that a general static ability, because it'd be too good. I really love... If this plays anything like Kaito, which I think it, it will probably have a similar like cool play pattern, uh, that's 
works really well. The fact that Kaito phases out just that first turn is really huge to the the card, and this looks similar. And you could even ar argue like what they did with Tamio is a little interesting, where um, you can pay the the two life, but you lose the two loyalty kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so all of the experimenting they've done with planeswalkers, you know, they originally said planeswalkers don't have enough design space. That's why they always follow the same pattern. And I think they're proving themselves wrong because they keep coming up with really cool new things to try on planeswalkers. And, and this just looks great. Um, this makes me think of a charm. This is, this is like a charm that then sticks around and is a planeswalker. It's a um, sticky charm. <laughs> <laughs> no no <laughs> uh, but like i feel like there's probably a charm out there exactly like this that, mm -hmm. that makes a 2-2 or it exiles a tapped creature uh or it like buffs something maybe the the lines are a bit different like it's a 3-3 or it's a 2 plus 1 plus 1 counters to make you actually consider using one of the abilities um but th yeah this is great like you said it seems probably the most common thing is this flashes in exiles an attacker and then like makes a 2-2 out of a control deck mm -hmm. um, and you're happy with that but i like this design of a planeswalker that aggro decks or control decks could be interested in because usually it's one or the other they have to design a planeswalker that only an aggro deck could ever possibly want or you know planeswalkers are kind of traditionally control cards uh, because they have a slow like lasting impact on the game yeah this this card seems really really cool and i like that they pushed it like this mm -hmm. is definitely a good card so uh you know i wouldn't even be that mad if this sees play all over the place you know it's like two of in a blue white control and then also a two of topping a mono white deck that's just really cool design yeah and that's why it is a layup Boom. Worth a slot in your deck. Yeah. Um, before we go any further with this, we do want to say, um, full disclosure, uh, these are cards we think are worth slots in your deck. Um, please don't get mad at us if you use all your wild cards on our worth of slots. Um, yeah. you, you, wild cards are gold, and you need to uh, you know, use them sparingly. So don't, don't, <laughs> don't be upset with us. It may have happened in the past, so just don't... <laughs> Just you know, hey, yeah, we take make, we take no responsibility for any wild cards wasted during the our worth of slot of this episode. Uh, but with that, Jeff, what is your layup worth a slot? Okay, so I kind of alluded to it earlier. I said that I think Mono Red might might have a shot now, and there's a whole bunch of cards uh, that they released that are just great for Mono Red Aggro that give it kind of some juice that it's been missing for a while. So the card that I've picked is the juiciest of the mono red juice. And I, I'd be surprised if this card isn't good. And that's Thundering Raiju. So this is a two red red creature spirit. It's a 3-3 three, three haste. And whenever it attacks, you put a counter on target creature you control. We're already talking about something that I'm interested in <laughs> if I'm a red aggro player. But then it also says, then Thundering Raiju deals X damage to each opponent, where X is the number of modified creatures you control other than Thundering Raiju. So I wonder why that last part was put in. But uh, basically, this, this reminds me of like Thunder Maw Hellkite from back in the day, where this thing would just slam down and hit you for a million, and also like some extra pinging would happen. Um, 
this thing is like at worst just a four four haste for four uh that's like the worst this will be which seems pretty pretty good way to top out a red deck and if your red deck already has natural incentives for modified creatures which i think there are some in this set for example we talked about the rabbit battery last week mm -hmm. uh, if that's already the one drop you're playing like this is just going to do so much damage um this does feel like quite a layup i've seen this on the battlefield already and uh it has a lot of text so of course it's a card i kind of skimmed over at first um but yeah, you're like ah three three for four next. next three three for four with a lot of text whatever yeah, yeah. um no it is um <clears throat> i think it's nice like it does fit really nicely into uh red and i think that that uh that whole modified creature thing will be really interesting when you're putting counters because like mono red is going to have a lot of one drops and a lot of like one ones in the set uh and i think the mm -hmm. build of it will be close to that and so being able to attack with this and add a bunch of counters to all your different creatures obviously is a really good thing but also will become extremely interesting when you are using your rabbit battery and you're trying to see okay do i need to attack with this card and then make sure that I don't reconfigure my battery onto something so that I have multiple creatures right. that are modified as opposed to one creature that's modified. That will be, I think it's a really interesting design and I think it's also really powerful. So um, of course yeah. this is something that I'm down for and I really like that they did this because it's gonna make a lot of those choices uh, a bit more complicated than you would originally think and spending just a single red mana to either equip or unequip or all those things um will be could be the difference of a lot of games so um thumbs up yes this card's awesome <laughs> and, and exactly i think you put it great too because one thing i wanted to say about this mono pot potential mono red resurgence mm -hmm. you know again don't go out and craft mono red with all your wild cards just because we're saying it, it's looking like it might be a real deck um losing faceless havens obviously huge but that's another thing is that I think Mono Red now has the best man land. Mm -hmm. People love to hate on Mono Red. And I really love Mono Red decks that have a lot of play to them. Because the the common thing that people say about Mono Red is, oh, you just play your one drop and attack. Then you play your two drop and attack. Then you play your three drop and attack. And if they wipe the board, you lose. <laughs> and if they don't, you win. And there are Mono Red decks that have existed that have played like that. This doesn't look like it would be one of those decks. This looks like it'd be one of those decks where it's like the the people who are known as great mono red players, this is how they make their name because they're the only ones that can really win with this deck. Um, and so even during like the Embercleaf era, like all those decks had a lot of actual play to them. So I think that's great when that's what mono red looks like. It's it's and so like that's what this is shaping up to be, I think. There are so many decisions about where to modify and you know when to play this because you might get more out of the modified damage later where do you put the counter do you just put it on this well then it doesn't count towards the second ability great job once again like we've been praising the design team on this whole set the whole time um and i i don't have any real problems with it so far uh, there may be things that i get kind of like oh this strategy isn't as strong as i would have hoped in the future but at the moment i feel great about just about everything so um yeah, continued as, as usual. I'm just yeah. very positive about it. I love how I answered my own question. I was like, why is it other than Thundering Raiju as I was reading it? And then mm -hmm. later I was like, oh, it's to make it more a lot more interesting. As yeah, exactly. 
So now it doesn't just like hit for five on the first turn. Um, right. Sweet. All right. <clears throat> I have a three pointer for you. And I think I might have stolen this one from you, but it's definitely the card I thought that you would like the most, but I also um, have played it and played against it. And it feels just so frustrating for me um, on both in, in sets without ninjas. This probably would have been my default favorite initial card <laughs> yeah um so this is ani colt anvil it is uh rakdos so it's black and a red for an artifact and it says whenever one or more artifacts you control leave the battlefield during your turn create a one one colorless construct artifact creature token this ability only triggers once each turn however it also has an activated ability where you tap it and sacrifice an artifact and ani colt anvil deals one damage to each opponent and you gain one life so initially it just kind of seems like this thing where you're sacrificing artifacts to this to deal damage to your opponent and you gain life, which is a clock because every time you do that on your turn, you get another artifact. So you can keep doing that. Like if the board is stalled until your opponent dies. However, the thing that's really good about this card is that there is this Rakdos sacrifice deck that goes around and a lot of the pieces of that deck really care about treasures and treasures sacrificed by themselves. And this card doesn't care if it's the one that sacrifices the artifact, it just cares that an artifact was sacrificed on your turn. So if you pay treasures for anything, you get a free 1-1. One, one. And sacrifice decks love free 1-1s. One, <laughs> and oh my God, yeah. <laughs> if you can't get rid of this stupid fucking thing, you're screwed. Because then once you get two or three of them, it's like, oh, play the... What's that 1-1 one, one Ghast that either is minus 1, minus 1 when it dies or makes a treasure? Shambling. Shambling Ghast. Um, that thing dies, you get a treasure. Then you have a couple of these on the battlefield. You sacrifice the treasure to play something. You get three dudes. You're like, sick. Now I'm going to sacrifice the dude uh, to the, the one in the black to, to draw two cards and get a treasure token. Sick. More treasure. And you just keep building this army of little 1-1s. One, and then you get to slam your... Um, uh, what is it? meat hook massacre and then it's all it's all over yeah so you absolutely stole this one for me this was definitely going to be on my list probably exactly where you have it though i was considering like is this just a layup though because we've learned over the years that this card's going to be good uh i do want to give a shout out another shout out to the designers i see what you did here this card is cat oven but in one card and like fixed it's a 1-1 one, mm -hmm. one that keeps coming back and draining you for one, just on its own, right? And so it doesn't make, like, the extra food token. You can't do it over and over and over again. It's just this one card that's doing it. But this card is just very, very awesome. Like, I, I just think, I like everything about it. I like that it only triggers once a turn and when uh, you do it during your turn. Mm -hmm. But you have the option to do it during your opponent's turn. Like, like you were saying, just I like that it only triggers during your turn to give you the extra bonus, but a lot of decks want the sack outlet whenever. Mm -hmm. And this does a great job of doing both. Because part of the problem with like Cat Oven was the timing of it. You could mm -hmm. literally never get around it as the other player because they were way too flexible on the timing of that card. Either card was allowed to happen whenever. And it's like, well, there's nothing I could do because you could sacrifice anything in response to anything and if there's ever danger, you just don't bring the cat back. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas this is a lot more restrictive. There's ways to break up this like one card combo, but then it's also easier to get started again. You just sack any artifact and then you have this, this train going. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've learned how cool red-black sacrifice decks, like how cards like this are always just better than they look. So maybe everyone's adapted and, and understands that this card is, is really good. But I like the way that they've tried to mitigate this just taking over. This is a, a big reason why any blue deck I'm playing is probably going to have like a um, spell pierce. Because like, I want to make sure to get rid of this thing. Like, I, I don't want it to hit the battlefield. And um, until... You know, I, was, I was even looking at... Uh, sorry to interrupt. Just the, the Witherbloom command. Mm-hmm. that destroys uh, destroys permanent CMC2 or less or whatever. I'm just like, with some of the cards coming out, I'm like wondering if that card is starting to suck less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it definitely could be. Um, are you talking about the command or are you talking about the uh, calling ritual? The one that, uh, it's like a four mana blow up everything two or less. I thought one of the, th- no, I was talking about the command. I thought one of its options was to destroy. Oh, you're right. It, maybe it was one or less. I I thought it was two or less, though. It could be. I can't remember at this moment. But, um, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, This one is the one. um, It definitely looked like a card I didn't care about at first. Um, Usual Zach fashion didn't want to read it. Uh, But after playing with it and against it, oh, boy, is it uh, it a... I feel like if you play against this once, you'll be like, what does this do? What the fuck? Mm -hmm. Why is is so much coming out of a two-mana card? As this stupid Uh, thing, yeah. It's, yeah, uh, so Witherbloom Command has an option that was destroy target non-creature, non-land permanent with mana value two or less. And I always remember thinking, like, if that's relevant, this card might not suck, but it's just so hard for that to be relevant. And then this yeah. set is giving me a lot more reasons that, you know, there are some, like, sagas that are pretty good. Uh, there are some artifacts that are pretty good in this set. So maybe Witherblo- Witherbloom Command, craft them all. You heard it here. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> all right jeff what's your uh what's your uh, three-pointer all right my three-pointer hinata dawn crowned so this is one and jeskai one blue red white for a four four flying trample it has spells you cast cost one less to cast for each target spells your opponents cast cost one more to cast for each target now i have to say like everyone else i immediately just moved past this card on the first read being like it's a commander card moving on but when you think about it a little more like having my negates cost one mana that's already pretty huge you could just drop this and hold up negate and it costs one mana because it's gonna have a target that's like already enough to start to convince me um and your opponent's counter spells cost one more now, then there's also anything that targets, so any removal spell that tries to kill this, that costs one more, too. Um, so it really, if you've ever played against, like, a Thalia-type thing, where you're holding up a removal spell, but you have exactly the amount of mana, and then they play this, and you're just like, fuck, like, anything else, I would have killed it, but I can't kill that, because as soon as it's on the battlefield, I would have to target it with this, and I can't cast it anymore. Um... And then I started to see some of the crazy shit online. Like I saw Brad Nelson post a thing where it's like, technically, technically, um, Magma Opist can cost blue-red with this card on the battlefield. You just need to actually have all six targets. 
And I was like, well, that's kind of fun. It's probably not <laughs> relevant. But even in making it cost two or three less, like it's not uncommon to target three things with that card. Um, that's already curving into it. Four drop this, five drop Magma Opus. So I think this might be a real thing if there's some sort of Jeskai mid-range uh, deck or even like sideboard and control mirrors. This feels very similar to Lear to me, where it was... I don't think it's as good as Lear, but I just mean, like, where Lear was like, that's clearly a super powerful ability, just is it going to be relevant to be for, for whatever deck that wants it? If that deck exists, and obviously this card is good, and if that deck doesn't exist, you know, people won't talk about it anymore. Mm-hmm. But this ability was one I wrote off, and after thinking about it more, I'm just like, this is a lot better than, than uh, initial read. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you immediately said, hey, I I think this is a commander card. And I have been wanting to build a hate bear tribal commander deck for a while. And this looked like the perfect thing for that. Um, So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll build this commander. It'll be all hate bears. It'll be really fun. Um, But you're right. I think I was forgetting about the counter spells initially. Um, I was thinking all removal and wishing it had black in its cost. I think the counter spell is real. You like just play this and hold up negate on five. And that's pretty easy to make happen. Yeah, I also want to note that I love that this set has two three-color cards just for fun. They're like, you know what? We're going to have two three-color cards, and those three-color cards are going to share most of the colors with each other. Anyway, uh, I just thought that was fun. But I, um, I also find it curious that this works, by the way, Yeah, like rules-wise. Because the way I understand magic is I like cast my card and then choose the targets. I guess that must be not how the technically the rules. Work. <coughs> yeah, you have that to you like... have to choose your targets when you're casting it. So it's what it's really right. Technically, like everyone pays and then plays the spell, but technically you play the spell, put it on the stack, and then pay for it. Yeah, I guess I guess you're right. I I used to even play that way until people like made me stop playing that way in paper. They'd be like, "Why do you always put your card down before tapping your mana?" I was like, "I don't know. That's how I learned." Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone else taps their mana and then puts the card. Their card. I guess this card shows that I was right. You yeah, no, you are. Down. <laughs> because um, it did matter a lot more in Commander because people needed to know your targets when you played something. It's like, there's four of us, so I have to decide if I care about this or not. And once you say your targets when it's on the stack, then I can decide what I'm going to do. Um, and that became like a bigger deal. Yeah, yeah. I just meant like about when you actually pay for it, right? Like, oh, sure. Of course, you know, I'm not going to count. I'm not going to counter your spell if you decided to target my worst creature for some reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, so you always know the targets before you respond. But it, this f- just feels a little weird because I'm throwing it out of my hand. And then by doing that, I've kind of committed to targeting enough things to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it um, it definitely feels strange, but um, but no, I think this card's pretty good. Also, just like hey, four mana four four flying trample, like that's no joke. So um, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's no slouch either. Like I've just played this in draft, and it being like the thing that people have to deal with, and I'm I'm like I don't even care about anything else. Like this is just a sick card. So like once you get one mana off this. You kind of had a three mana, four, four flying trample, right? Yeah. And this could save you a lot more than... Absolutely. Especially, well, uh, the first thing I was thinking about this card was the uh, flying windmill kick, uh, the green card that has like a spinning, sorry, spinning wheel kick. 
is uh, mm -hmm. the green uncommon that's XX, uh, green, green, to fight as much stuff as you want. It's X. And so you just target... them to four color here, but yeah. Yes, but you can do that, I think, in this draft <laughs> format. Um, at least in draft, but like in... Uh, it's probably really not worth it in Constructed, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's Oh, possible. that thing has X plus one targets, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> It just becomes significantly cheaper when you do it that way. But anyway. It's like, I have to do some serious math to figure out how much I actually have to pay for this fucking thing. Yeah. It's That's like, the situation. Two where... X minus X plus one. <laughs> That's the situation where I continue to put it on the stack trying until it works. Like, okay, yeah. this? No. Okay, this? No. All right. And keep going. All right. This is how many I can kill. And then it just resolves whenever I did it right. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well. That's just it. in case that combo comes up again in the future, it looks like it's X minus one. So okay. If you want to target five things, you have to pay four and then green, green. Ooh. <laughs> All right. I like that. That's amazing. I love that. I love that so much. Fuck. Um, yeah. That's all I want to do. That's the thing. This card now. is also a combo potential. But again, yeah. I love the design of it's a card that makes your spells cheaper, but it doesn't work with draw spells, really, because mm -hmm. draw spells don't tend to target anymore. Um, there are some in Historic if you're doing that, so... Um, could there be, could be a cool historic thing. Um, all right, Jeff, are you ready for some crazy half court shots? Some ridiculous things. Oh, I'm ready. Hopefully. Especially since this is the only one that Zach didn't write down that he was choosing. So yeah. Um, dark. <laughs> I was having a difficult time choosing what I wanted to do for my half court shot. And there's, you know, a lot of things I could choose, but in the end, of course, I'm just going to choose the card that I shouldn't choose, but I'm I double down <laughs> always. And then I feel like Jeff, you know exactly what I'm going to talk about. We are going to talk about idea. light pause, Emperor's voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I was sitting here looking at Seven Tail Mentor. I, I totally thought it was that. But. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so Light Paws is one and a white for a 2-2 legendary creature, Fox Advisor. And it says, whenever an aura enters the battlefield under your control, if you cast it, you may search your library for an aura card with mana value less than or equal to that aura and with a different name than each other aura you control, put that card on the battlefield attached to Light Paws and then shuffle. So, all right. Seemingly, those are a lot of hoops to jump through, and you're right. That's why this is a half-court shot. That's why we're, <laughs> you know, shooting through the fences. I have wanted an aura deck to be viable and standard for a while now. I talked about this when we had the um, the uh, Drake come out, the, the blue one that uh, when you target it, you draw a card. I've wanted this deck to happen. This card is helpful. It's part of the package because it's tutoring and cheating mana costs for your auras. So you're just like taking up auras from your deck, putting it right into the battlefield. And what's really fun about it, and I do like the design, I know it's an extra hoop, but I think it's fun, is making it so that you try to play as many different auras as possible so that you can continue yes. to play. It's not just getting the best aura over and over again in your deck. It's like how many good auras are they do, like, do you have in... Uh, primarily, I would assume this deck would be white-blue, but also um, I think that having a little bit of Bant in there might be helpful, um, specifically with this green protection spell that costs one. 
um, maybe there's something fun in there. So uh, it could be a really sweet deck. Um, also, it's just, you know, a legendary creature, so it makes it difficult to play some of these strategies. Uh, obviously, these are a lot of reasons why this card might not be amazing, but um, we do have a lot of good two mana and one mana auras, and those are the ones I primarily like. Um, so we have like Cradle of uh, Safety, and we have um, the runes. So we have the white and the blue one that give flying and lifelink that draw you cards. And then we have Flight, which is from the D&D &D set that also gives flying, and then you get to um, venture into the dungeon when it hits the opponent. So I think there's a bunch of different possibilities out there, and with some Disturbed cards and some other things, um, this could be a deck. I still think it's not going to be extremely strong, but I like that we're getting slowly more pieces that could be really interesting. And I, I, I just... I think it's a really weird, it's the weirdest design, but I really like this card. Yeah, I 100% knew that you liked this card. I didn't know if it was actually going to make your list or not. But when you started talking about how I'm going to do the card that I know I shouldn't, but I have to, I was like, yeah, it's got to be this one. Um, yeah, I love, I know the design sounds really complicated on this card, and it sounds like they just hamstringed it too much from an initial read. You're like, why are there so many restrictions and what I'm allowed to get and all that? But when you think about it, I kind of love the choices they made. Um, so exactly like you were saying, I just agree with it all. Like, aura decks tend to be, oh, you just have the best aura and then, like, the second best aura that you have access to. And then stuff that you'll play that you're not that happy about in the past because there's, there's no real reason to play a worse aura over a better one. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've diversified that a bit. There isn't just, it's like, why would I play the one that gives plus one, plus one, uh, you know, and reach when there's another one for the same cost gives plus two, plus two and flying. Like, why would I ever play the, the other one? And they've done a better job of making auras a little less obvious, which one's better. Um, and also, like you're saying, this actually incentivizes you to push the mana curve up a bit. Because if I play my three drop aura, I can go get one of the great two drop auras or whatever uh, it's not just like or or another three drop or whatever i don't just have to play the cheapest ones which mm -hmm. usually you're incentivized to just play the cheapest ones but you actually sorry what i was trying to say is like you make more mana off of this by playing a higher cost aura totally like if you play a one drop aura, you get one free mana from going to get the the other aura. if you play a three drop aura, you get another three drop aura mm -hmm. like that's pretty huge um, so like you're saying, it, it just makes you diversify both in mana value and in actual aura that you're playing. And to compensate, they've kind of actually given you options to go search up, which is cool. That being said, it's still a grizzly bear that doesn't do anything unless you play another card. And those cards tend to be dangerous cards to play as well. Already come with a little risk associated with them. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I wish I like, I wonder it should this have been a cast trigger, but the problem is, like, you have to have an aura that's a different name than one you control, so you can get the same aura you cast if it's a cast trigger. Yeah. Uh, that's why it can't be. But uh, I like the card, and I think, you know, they might be turning things around for you, because I was seriously considering, um, as my three-pointer, Michiko's Reign of Truth, and then I decided, I just don't know. 
uh, enough about this style of card to, to really say whether it's going to be good. But this looks like, you know, if there is the next all the, all the glitters, it's Michiko's Reign of Truth. I, um, I really like Michiko's Reign of Truth. Uh, as, as well, and I had thought about that. So you're right. The one last thing I want to say about light pause before we move on to your half court is that um, obviously uh, through the last uh, time, and commander players know this a lot, that um, Enchantress decks are getting kind of old and there are so many Enchantress cards that this card does a really good job of being an Enchantress. Like you play an aura and you get a card without just being straight draw a card. Like... Most of the time, the gameplay yeah. is just trying to get the get through the cards on your deck and see what you get, and this makes it really interesting while also doing exactly the same thing, and specifically pulling auras and not just any type of enchantment. So, I think it uh, ultimately and obviously it's great for a commander singleton format, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if this card specifically is great in. I mean, it might be, but. Um, uh, but because even even in that, there are so many enchantresses that maybe they just want draw card enchantresses. But it's, um, for sure. But I meant like I like how one of the uh, one of the downsides or restrictions goes away in command. Oh 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 yeah yeah sorry 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 yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah that um, you don't really care because you'll never have two of the same unless I guess you. No, there's no way. There's no card in your cheating. deck. Yeah, unless <laughs> you are cheating. Yeah. All right, Jeff, what's your half court so we can get to uh, some other... Well, well, to get... Okay. Let's get to your um, half court. So again, don't spend wild cards on this, but my half court shot. <clears throat> Spirit Sisters Call. Oh. Three white black <laughs> for an enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, choose target permanent card in your graveyard. You may sac- sacrifice a permanent that shares a card type with the chosen card. If you do, return the chosen card from your graveyard to the battlefield and it gains if this permanent would leave the battlefield exile instead of putting it anywhere else. This is one of those cards that is pretty simple to understand but has a lot of text. Every step, every uh, turn on your end step, you sack something to return something that has the same uh, card type as that. Um, and then there's this extra clause that if one of those things would go away, you exile it because you, they don't want infinite loops. Um, yeah, so every single turn I sack a creature, get to return a creature, or sack an enchantment, get to return an enchantment, etc. Very, very cool card. Probably, you know, probably not going to be good, let's be honest. But I just love it. I think it's so cool that it's just like a every turn reanimator thing. It's like an every turn goblin welder sort of deal, but for more than artifacts. Uh, and so I'm just imagining this perfect white-black deck that wants to sacrifice its permanence and then gets to keep bringing back the awesome stuff and sacrificing the stuff it wants to sacrifice. Like you sack the Shambling Ghast to get back the the mythic black dragon from this set or whatever, you know, like, just sounds great. Um, but realistically, you know, this is not the type of card that tends to hold up in competitive. Yeah, I think this is a great example of why certain cards are mythics because this is a crazy, awesome ability that is super cool, however, very narrow, and you don't want to see a lot of this in draft. And that is what rarities are about. And so... And the ceiling is explosive on this card. Yes. When you imagine everything going well... (laughs) This card is just winning you the game single-handedly. 
And if you saw this constantly in draft, you'd be like, ah, oh, you know, it just never pans out. And you're just, you don't want to open like three of these in a draft. Like there's, you just don't want that to yeah. happen. So um, that's one mini tangent about that. But um, I was looking at this card, honestly, to be my uh, half court shot. So, because um, <laughs> it also works with enchantments, go. right? <laughs> you could do an enchantment thing with yeah. this. <laughs> Classic. Um, but no, and I love the way that they make sure that it doesn't loop forever. And, uh, I mean, at five mana, like, do nothing when it enters, it's rough, but it does do something at your end step, so you don't have to wait a full turn, which is great. So, um, I, I will wait until someone does something sweet with this before I try anything, <laughs> yeah. and I'll just copy whatever they do. But, um, it's definitely a really cool card, and uh, a nice, like, story piece as well, uh, which is the first initial thing I thought of this card, so, um... Seems cool. For sure. That's why I read it, actually. Yeah? I actually, no, I, that's exactly yeah. what I... I did the same exact thing. So, um, no. Seems cool. Are you going to Are you gonna make a deck for this? I want to see that list whenever you do, if you do. Uh, I just can't justify the wild cards. Oh, yeah. wild cards of course, almost. of course. If I happen to pick some up, you can expect a list coming your way. All right. Well, hopefully you open some in draft so we can see it. Um, all right, Jeff. Do you have a funnierest, funniest, f- fur, finniest card? Oh, we, we jumped in straight to funnestest. F- mo- most. I have one ready. I have something locked and loaded. All right. All right. So my funnestest card for the set, Mech Titan Core. So Mech Titan Core is a two-mana artifact vehicle. It's a 2-4. And you can spend five generic mana to exile it and four other artifact creatures and or vehicles you control. And you create uh, Mech Titan. It's a legendary 10-10 construct artifact creature token with flying, vigilance, trample, lifelink, and haste. And it's all the colors. And then whenever that token leaves the battlefield, you return all the exiled cards with uh, Mech Titan Core, except Mech Titan Core, back to the battlefield. And it has a crew cost of two. This is the most funnest card. Because... Funnestest. Funnestest card, sorry. Um, it is important, important. It's very important that there are a couple writers. Make sure that you're using this card with artifact creatures and vehicles. You can't just have regular artifacts, okay? They have to be creatures. Right. So um, like sack four treasures. Yeah, you can't do that. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I think that, uh, and, and mainly I'm kind of thinking in draft because it's a uh, funnest just to do this in draft. Uh, but, um, that, uh, artifact I was talking about earlier, the network disruptor, the, the single blue mana one, one flyer. If you have a bunch of those quickly, um, they deal some damage, but flipping into this dude and making the Titan and then attacking immediately for 10. And then at, at the very least, you're going to gain like 10 life if they don't. Like, don't do this if they have mana open or whatever. But a 10-10 Titan, this is literally Voltron. This is like Power Rangers. Like, this is the giant mech robot where you get all five pieces, you put them together. This and feels like fight. it actually was inspired by Power Rangers. It's, what, it's absolutely what it is. Because you get all five pieces, it's all five colors, it has all the abilities that you want, um, it attacks immediately, gains you life, it tramples and it has vigilance so it can block like it's the whole package man it is so fun getting this like if you 
uh, rip this off the top of your deck with enough creatures on the battlefield and you have seven mana and you just, boom, sack them, attack, and they have no idea what's going on. It is the funnestest thing you could ever do. I I love it. I love it. It's so good. I think you might be right on this one. I love, like, this is what card games are about. Mm -hmm. I love this type of stuff where, like, there's the dream of getting the big, bad, awesome thing, you know? And mm -hmm. You have to put a lot of work into it, but at the end of it, it's, it tells a cool story. It's amazing. Um, and I love that it's not crazy pushed, so it's not actually good. It's just, like, awesome and fun to think about and try to make happen and when it does happen it'll be crazy good but it's not like this card will take over standard and you'll lose to mech titan core every game <laughs> yeah that would be a bummer because that would make it pretty lame like when they did it with dark depths it was like yeah that's crazy and fun and whatever but then they some combo came out and, and then everyone hated dark depths because it's like oh so i have to like win by turn two or i'm facing a 2020 indestructible flying that's fun like that's not fun um, yeah <laughs> yeah um no, that, that's a great choice for Funnestus. What I had in mind is Tatsunari Toad Rider. Um, so the main reason here is that it's a ninja that rides a giant toad. <laughs> that's, already, that's already ridiculous. <laughs> like, how are you stealthy? You're on a literal gigantic toad. Um, but then I like the way they took the design too. So it's two black for a 3-3 three, three human ninja. Whenever you cast an enchantment, if you don't control Kaimi, like a creature named Kaimi, create Kaimi, which is a legendary 3-3 black and green frog creature token with whenever you cast an enchantment spell, each opponent loses one life, you gain one life. And then you can play one and a Simic. Tatsunari Toad Rider and target frog you control can't be blocked this turn except by creatures with flying or reach because he's jumping <laughs> off the giant toad. <laughs> over everyone else and notice you actually can't activate this ability without both targets so you have to um like without a sorry a frog to target yeah so you have to have the frog for him to and he jumps so high <laughs> that only things with flying or reach can actually get him out of the air uh no this card is great i love it i just think that's when I, as soon as i read this card i was like this is hilarious <laughs> You know what's great about this card is that it is awesome in like a bunch of weird <laughs> decks. Like you can play this card yeah. with like obviously enchantment decks. You're playing like this um, uh, Soltai like Enchantress thing. But also like it does work with Meat Hook because then you can like sacrifice. Like you want to have creatures to sacrifice in that deck. You can sacrifice that creature, play Meat Hook, and only do two to everything and get another frog from something else. It just, uh, it's a, right. it's, it just seems super cool. And then it, like, you can activate the ability if you're in a ninja deck to do the ninjutsu thing. Like, that, that's possible. <laughs> because, like, yeah, you're making it <laughs> unblockable. <laughs> oh, man. In your classic uh, Enchantress, Enchantress Ninja mashup. Classic, classic. Um, I was lucky enough to play this card in that, uh, that Golgari draft deck that I, I ended up trophying with. And um, I got to play it after I had my... Um, the uh, Fuck, what's that card? Um, the, the green uh, mythic uh, Jugin. I, I had flipped Jugin Defense the Temple. Oh, wow. Into Remnite the Rising Star. 
And so I got to play it. And then, so my Toad Rider was a 6-6 six, six, and it was just the best. I was like, fuck yeah. And they just said, nice. And then you just conceded immediately. <laughs> Being That's like, all you can do. Just give them a nice. So you're going to attack like. That's what I was going to say about your card too. It's just like, I would have fun losing to that card if they pulled off the thing. And so that's how you can tell it's a fun card. Like if someone makes a frog and then leaps with his ninja on top of his frog over me and that's how he kills me, I'm not going to be mad. I'm going to be like, that's why I play magic. Like, exactly. Like you're. I had a toad ninja, toad riding ninja just jump at me <laughs> to the face and kill me. That's, you know what's. So I lost that game. So I did hear that this character. Tatsunari, I don't know if that's the actual real name, but in uh, like old Japanese lore, there is a character who is a sam or sorry, a ninja who rides a toad, and that's like where the inspiration came from. It's like that just makes it even cooler. Yeah, that's awesome. It's like it's a real thing, and they made it a magic card. Love it. So, um, <clears throat> so we do want to keep moving with this episode we have a couple more cards we want to talk about to you we have some overrated and underrated cards um so we of course need to talk about what we think people think too highly of and what people don't think highly enough of is that the yeah yeah totally um so as we've been doing all night i think i should probably go first with my overrated card sure. and i may have some backlash but um, it's overrated and I stand by it. Uh, that doesn't mean I don't think it's a good card. I just think it is, you know, talked about a bit too much and kind of blown out of proportion. So the card I've chosen for being overrated is Boseju who endures. All right, all right, I know, <gasps> I know. It's a good card. It's a legendary land, it taps for green, it has channel for one and a green. You can discard it and destroy target artifact enchantment or non-basic land an opponent controls, and then they get to search the library for a land, put it onto the battlefield. That has to be a basic land, and it costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. Yes, I get it. It is a naturalize that's also a land slot in your deck. Yeah. I also remember when Assassin's Trophy was amazing, and everybody thought it was going to be this perfect removal spell it gets rid of everything it just ramps your opponent a little bit i feel very similarly about this card i think it is good it is a good card it will come in clutch and it will probably be in your decks i just think that you need to hold your horses a little bit you don't need to have like a don't craft four of these one will probably be fine and like you were saying earlier or maybe off camera i can't remember but if Faceless Haven was still in the format, you would have to kind of choose between Faceless Haven and this card for the most part. Um, destroying your, your opponent's stuff or having a naturalizer destroying non-basic lands, good. Ramping your opponent, very bad. We don't like that. So very bad. don't think it's a free naturalize. It's not. It really will hurt you. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things I'll say is I think... Um, it sounds like you're saying this card is getting a lot of hype. Mm -hmm. My immediate reaction is that this card is better in older formats than it is in standard or like even historic. But like in stuff like modern and legacy, where you just kind of have to pay the price, you just need to have ways to kill stuff that's going to beat you. 
and it needs to happen very early in the game, stuff like this does get a bit more valuable. So maybe some of the hype is coming from, you know, oh, this is going to be good in modern or this mm-hmm. is going to be good in legacy. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. Um, and, but the other problem with cards like this, and that I was kind of surprised to see this cycle, is in almost every deck that's not, especially without Faceless Haven, like we, you know, we're talking about, and there's no snow theme, there's pretty much no reason to cut one forest and replace it with one Boseju. Um, sorry, no reason not to do that. Mm-hmm. Because uh, if you start talking about, I want multiple Boseju, now you're paying a cost. But in almost any standard deck, if you're not playing Snow, just cutting one forest for this, there's pretty much no reason not to do that. I guess green is the color where that is the least true because you can like fetch land, fetch basics more than other decks do. But still, pretty much like this is just better than a forest when it's the first copy. Um, and they don't like to make lands that are just better than basics. Uh, but that being said, I don't think the upside is crazy high on any of these channel lands. Uh, it's just going to be like, I just put one of each into my decks as like a starting point. Just exactly what I said, cut one basic and replace it with one of these and it'll come up occasionally, but when it doesn't, it's just a basic, so whatever. Um, but I think that's where a lot of the hype is coming from too, is like every green deck is probably going to run one Boseju forever. Yeah. You know? And I like, sure. I can see that. Um, I just wonder how many times you're going to lose that game because your opponent ramped into something that you, they wouldn't normally have. Uh, and people won't, totally. it's too hard to know if that's one of the reasons why you lost that game. Um, now, depending on the thing you blew up, you know, it, it will, it will depend. Um, but and, and I think you're right. It, it is older formats and um, modern commander specifically because, you know, that's a singleton format. So you're totally happy having one of these. Just if you're playing arena, don't get some of those things stuck in your head. I definitely agree with Jeff. Try one. See if it's good. Don't re- like you should have if you really want to blow up other like artifacts and enchantments have other ways to do it. Don't think that this is the only way you're going to. I don't think that's a good option. It's a really good point, too, Like to bring up. Our listeners, mostly arena players, presumably, mm-hmm. they might see all this hype online, think they should craft a bunch of these, and in reality, that's not where it is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's good to bring this one up. I would think of this as, like, it's a forest, but if I draw it late, it might find some use. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know, and where my, like, ninth land wouldn't really matter. If this is in your opening hand, just treat it like a forest. Don't save it to play later, you know, and, like, not play a land. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Just just play this, whatever. Um, and then later in the game, hey, maybe you would have drawn a forest. Instead, you draw this thing. There is something to kill. And giving them the extra land matters less late in the game. So mm-hmm. um, think of it as, like, a safeguard that's just kind of built into your deck. But you'll play as a land, like way more than 50% of the time. Yeah. All right. Jeff, what's your overrated card? Okay, so uh, I haven't been on Twitter too much recently, so I don't know what cards people like, but I've been seeing this card all the time, and I did see, like, a couple of articles go up, so I had to... I feel like I had to choose this one. So this is Reckoner Bankbuster. This is a two-mana 4-4 vehicle, and there's the battlefield with three charge counters on it. It's crew three. 
but then it has the ability to and tap, remove a charge counter from it, draw a card. Then if there are no charge counters on it, create a treasure and a treasure token and a 1-1 pilot that crews vehicles as though its power were two or greater. So the reason I'm seeing people like this is because it's like Maze Mind Tome. And as everyone knows, I think Maze Mind Tome might be one of the most overrated cards ever. I won so many games because people played Maze Mind Tome. Uh, and yeah, I agree. This is like Maze Mind Tome. So um, it has like extra weird upside of instead of drawing you more cards, it turns into a beater in your weird deck that wants to spend a lot of mana to draw cards slowly. Don't really get it. So uh, if you have some maybe weird hybrid deck that wants to finish the game early and also is looking for card advantage, I just feel like there's better options. So um, this card reads very powerfully. And so I think a lot of people are playing and trying it out. And then a lot of people are like, yo, just put play it in your control deck because it's Maze Mind Tome. I'm like, you shouldn't have been playing Maze Mind Tome in your control deck anyways. <laughs> you know, compare it to the... The Scry 2, Draw 2, Fortell. How much more expensive did it... How much more did it cost you? And how much slower did it happen than that card? Um, but anyways, I, it's just let me go on another Maze Mind Tome rant. This card's the same. Just like Maze Mind Tome, people inexplicably love it, including very good players who are better than me. So this isn't like, a, you know, everyone else is wrong kind of thing. I just don't see it. Uh, and I'm, I'm sticking to those guns. Maze Mind Tome sucks. This card sucks too. Yeah. Um, I would definitely agree. I have uh, played this card uh, mainly in draft, but I don't like it. I don't. Um, I, I thinking of it as like oh, even as like a two mana four four crew three where you can draw some cards sometimes. It's not. I don't like it. Like, right. it's, I just don't think it's good. Like, <laughs> even not as a maze mind tome, which I am still on the side with you. I don't think maze mind tome was good. At least Maze Mind Tome gained you life so that when you're getting beaten down, like... That was a huge part of the card, right? Yeah. And this does damage instead, which is way worse in a control deck. Not even does damage. If this died and dealt four damage to them, it would be so much better than being a vehicle that, like, you'd have to crew and do all that bullshit, so... P plus, it actually, like, turns on their removal because they now have something to kill with their removal. Yeah. It's, um... Like, maybe it's... Like, what is it? Is it a card draw engine in a vehicle deck where you're playing Surge Hacker mech? Like, is that what is that what you want? Right, that's what I'm saying. It's maybe a very specialized tool, but people are just slotting this into the control decks. No, uh, no. And it's like, why are you playing this card? You have a three-drop creature that you're going to accrue this with? That, I mean, I guess you're making them later, but, like, come on. Right, you're just relying on the one, the pilot you make later to crew this. No, 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 don't like it. <laughs> I'm over it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's a great overrated card because I hate that card. <laughs> after playing it, <laughs> thinking like maybe it'd be kind of good. Um, uh, after doing that, I'm like, no, I don't like this at all. Um, yeah. All right, I have one underrated card, which um, okay. I don't know if it's still underrated because after uh, seeing some lists, I was like, oh, people might have actually people people play this card now, but um, okay. This is Grease Fang Okiba Boss. It's one white black for a 4-3 legendary creature rat pilot. And it says, at the beginning of combat on your turn, return target vehicle card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste. Return it to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. So, I know what you're thinking. Wow, you guys have been talking a lot about standard recently. Shouldn't this card be good in standard? 
that's where I'm I'm changing things a little bit. So this is why <laughs> this is why I up. was also not interested in this card because I thought, wow, in standard, I don't give a shit about vehicle decks or vehicle things. This weird vehicle recursion doesn't seem very good. I have seen some weird stuff in draft where you there's like a seven drop uh, vehicle that you return. That's that's pretty fun, but. There is a historic deck, which I think is modeled after a modern deck, possibly. But what you're doing is you are dumping with Faceless, uh, uh, Faithless Looting. You're dumping Parhelion 2 into the graveyard, returning it with this, attacking, <laughs> getting the 4-4 Angels, keeping them, and then trying to keep this cycle going. Okay, um, I already loved that deck. Yeah, so it's this sweet combo <laughs> this deck. literally the first sentence I ever heard about it, and I love it. Um, it, I almost immediately went out and made the deck as soon as I saw it, um, because it sounds super sweet. I, now I haven't built it yet and I haven't played it, but, um, playing this weird vehicle reanimator around this card is exactly what I want to do with this card and playing a, a vehicle that makes tokens that you get to keep seems so good, especially when they're four, four angels. Like, oh my gosh. You don't have to deal with any of the other bullshit with Parhelion 2. This is what Parhelion 2 was supposed to be. Like, it's why Parhelion 2 was made, was for this card. It's amazing. Um, I may play Historic again just to play this deck. So that's why I think it's underrated. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Pick these up in draft so you can build that deck. Uh, they might be something. <laughs> maybe. Possibly. Uh, and it's worth saying, like, I don't know, maybe in standard you could have some sort of vehicle deck where this thing actually works. Like, it's worth noting that you play this, and then the same turn that you play it, you're getting the vehicle back with haste, and you crew it with this, presumably. So it's like, um, it's a very, like, the combo you're talking about is very fast. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, like, turn three. That's, that's pretty fucking fast. Um and you could maybe maybe that is good enough to make it stick in standard too. I mean, Just in standard, we do have Reckoner Bangbuster, so like you can <laughs> return that card <laughs> if You're your right. opponent. This is garbage. It's yeah, standard. never mind. <laughs> um, okay, so I think for my underrated card, and this is mostly just based on like the fact that I'm not seeing anybody else other than me play it. But having played it, I'm like, this card, I think, is better than it looks. And, and I we alluded to it earlier, but I got to go with Kaito. Um, like, Kaito Shizuki is a card that nobody is playing. This card is pretty good, guys. Like, everything, it doesn't look like any single thing it does is overwhelmingly powerful. But it all adds up to a neat little package where I think if you have access to these colors of mana and you're in any way consider yourself a, tr- a creature deck, that you know can reliably be attacking you should definitely consider this card and at least in the sideboard to bring in against control decks uh and then i think even in in decks where this is fueling itself it's not that bad because it's just so hard for them to interact with before and then like even in a control deck you play this right you draw you you loot or whatever and then when this phases back in you have all your mana untapped it even like phases back in and you wrath the board or something, right? So, um, I think people are underestimating the static on this card, and that's mostly based on I'm just never seen this card on the other side of the battlefield, and I'm playing it. I'm like I'm always hoping to draw Kaito, 
Yeah. I think um, because, I, because I've been playing that deck, I was also sleeping on Kaito until I started playing your Ninja List. And then this was like... I, did, I wasn't really thinking, oh, I just straight draw a card every turn that I'm attacking, which is almost every turn. Right, especially if you play it, made the 1-1 one, one ninja, and then it phases out. The next turn, you just draw a card. Yeah, <laughs> and you just do that every single turn. Um, it seems great, and focusing on, obviously, both those things is awesome. I And you're right. The, the static ability of phasing out seems kind of cute when you read it at first, but it's really... Oh, like relevant and awesome. It's like one of the big reasons why yeah. I'm like, planeswalkers suck because attacking is, it, it makes you feel vulnerable for your planeswalkers and you don't want to have them like, uh, you, you feel like you have to protect them. This one's like, no, keep attacking. It's fine. You can play me, draw some cards. Yeah. It's great. Um, and it's cheap enough that it- And that's it, been the problem with yeah. cards like this in the past, right? It wants me to attack, but it doesn't defend itself. So I have to block for it. Mm-hmm. And this is like fixes that problem where it, you know, it's like I'll I'll give you a freebie for one turn I'll defend myself and then it's up to you. This one is definitely worth the wild cards. So yeah, and it's also just a fun fun and unique card. So yeah, uh, <laughs> it definitely is. like I, I say I would say it's worth the wild cards for that. But if you're like you know, if you are you know not if you don't have a ton of wild cards and you just want to wait for a really good deck, like definitely do that. You know, but. Uh, you know, if you have maybe a couple mythics to spare, I would say try out try out some of the some of these cards because uh, this one in particular is is actually at least fun. Absolutely, um, sweet. So those are our worth of slots for Neon Dynasty, and we will check them out again uh, for our happy hour episode. See if they are still worth a slot or whether we were completely off base with light pause, <laughs> and we should stop trying to make Aura decks a thing in standard. It's like Boseju is by far the best card in the format, followed by Reckoner Gangbuster. <laughs> yeah, it's the best card ever made. Why did you ever talk shit about it? Um, so we'll have to find out. Who knows? Uh, Jeff, I think we are ready for our last call, which means yes. it is time for us to pick our favorite beer of the evening and then rate all of them. Um, and, uh, you know, which, which ones was best? Uh, we had two really interesting beers tonight. Um, that's uh, that's what I have to say at the moment. Uh, Jeff, do we want to go straight off and pick our favorite, or maybe we could talk about how um, how our rating system goes? Pick our favorite and move on from there. All right, let's yeah, let's go into the rating system. Um, so to mess up the order of things, we've mm. never been on this side of things. Uh, so the way our rating system works is we go, it, it goes from bronze to mythic, which is just like the tiers in arena. It's really lucky it worked out like that. Um, we do like to say, just like we warn you, don't, don't use your wild cards based on our suggestions. We would also like to say that while we rate beers, um, it doesn't actually reflect on what we think of players who are in those tiers in arena. The tiers just line up because we think it's fun. That being said, a bronze beer is total trash. You would drink some of it, not a lot, and then you wouldn't even finish it. Silver beers are usually macro brews. Those are ones that you find everywhere. Uh, or beers that kind of have nothing really going on. Yeah, gold beers, they're fine, uh, but you won't 
often drink it. It's not something you're going to seek out. Platinum beers are solid. You will drink them again, and it's kind of the beers that you have in your fridge most often. Diamond beers, these are where we're getting to the really good stuff. These are exceptional. You would recommend this. Someone says, hey, I'm looking for an IPA. You know a diamond IPA. It's coming up. Mythic beers are the absolute best of the best. These are ones that you would recommend to literally anyone, strangers on the street, people in a bar, anyone who will actually look at you as you blurt out all your beer information to them, <laughs> which happens sometimes. Um, with that being yeah. said, Jeff, we have the cans in front of us. Uh, do you know which yep. one you're going to pick for this moment as I continue to slow I do. roll? I think I know exactly which one I want to do. It is in do my I hand. I need to grab both. I'm going to grab two. You're going to grab two? Okay, maybe I'll grab two as well. Oh, just yeah. got to make sure. Okay. To, to um, clarify, both cans are the same beer. That I'm is, yeah, we have two of the same beer in our hands. Uh, and we'll count down from uh, three, two, one. Otsukara-sama. Otsukara-sama. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to like look at the, the Yeah, they turned to try to be like, oh, can I can I read this? Um hey, we picked the same one. We picked yours, I guess. We yes. Uh the uh the Dortmunder. Um <laughs> which I was kind of expecting to pick it uh coming into this just because it's more of the style that I, I'm uh, accustomed to as a poor as a as opposed, fuck, as opposed, we had so many beers tonight, <laughs> even though they were like low ABV, um, the, and small. yeah, and small, uh, Saison is usually not, uh, the beer that I'm, I'm looking for, but let's start with the Dortmunder, which is the Otsukara-sama. Uh, yeah, this was really good, uh, it's, you know, like the last Dortmunder we had, you know, maybe Dortmunders are just kind of good the lagers style that i like mm-hmm. you know i don't know if it's technically a lager but i think it is um is it <clears throat> i don't know i think it's like kind of like a darker lager I, I think of it as a lager with flavor and this one <laughs> delivered on that as well yeah. <laughs> um just really good uh and you know at first i said you know i was surprised that you know there, there's this dortmunder and it's from the Japanese uh, brewery. But I actually wouldn't be surprised if, if this was like a popular style of beer in, in Japan. Um, just because of like, I know they have a lot of uh, like Western influences in, for example, their whiskey. Like their whiskey is very similar to scotch. And then the beer making process is actually pretty similar to the whiskey making process. In, the, in that a lot of the grains you use and stuff are the same. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if you know a lot of Western uh, beer styles have actually become popular there as well, mm-hmm. and by Western I just mean European, not like American. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just uh, I don't know maybe I'm just like psyching myself. I'm almost definitely psyching myself out. But when I drank it, I was like, I feel like this is how, you know, a Japanese Dortmunder would taste. It definitely has like the <laughs> Dortmund style going on, but it was, it was crisp, right? It was very, mm-hmm. um, refined, um, which, you know, could just be the quality of the brewer as well. But I don't know. I, I think I just like read a lot into it, but I just didn't, I loved the whole package. So just the coming in this, um, this can and the way it looked as soon as I poured it and then I took a sip. I was just like, yeah, this is a, a great beer. 
Absolutely. I think I agree with exactly everything you said. Um, even the, the bit about it being like a Japanese version. Um, yeah, totally. Right. (laughs) And what we've tasted through these beers and the one that we had last week, um, with Godspeed, it does feel like, um, specifically last week where we got to taste them side by side with a beer that wasn't from that brewery, but this one, it does feel like it's a, just like a level above, you know, and it it had, and I don't want to say that it's because I know it's Japanese influenced because I, I would hope that I would be able to, to, to know that otherwise. But, um, but it does feel like a bit cleaner. Like it really feels like there's an intention and it's uh, executed and there's nothing, no messy right. stuff in the middle. Um, it feels very clean. So um, I think, I think it just was crisper, but I don't know if, if it was from a different label or whatever. Would I think, oh, this is like a Japanese-inspired Dortmunder? Yeah, Probably yeah. not, but I'd say this is like a really crisp, like, refined kind for of sure, green take for sure. on a Dortmunder. Dortmunder. Um, so with that, what is your rating for this beer? Uh, for, the, for me, this one was Diamond. Yep, um, definitely. I would definitely recommend this. Uh, and, and this would be something I would recommend to people who aren't necessarily that adventurous in their, their beer choices yet, because I think mm. they would still like it. For sure, yeah. But it would it, start to get a little bit of that craft beer flavor. Too. Yeah, this one was, uh, I, I definitely agree, Diamond uh, for sure. And um, it's one I'll, I'll think about again when I when I go to Godspeed. Um, let's jump over to the one you brought, Yuzu, uh, the Citrus Saison. Okay. Uh, so normally, as I said, Saison is not my favorite uh, beer style. However, I thought this one was nice and... Um, uh, it felt very smooth. Uh, I, I've had some saisons that are a bit more aggressive and uh, kind of uh, like attack you a bit. Uh, while this one felt like it had a bunch of different flavors going on. Um, so I did enjoy it. I just don't know if it's specifically the style that I like. I think the execution was done very well. So if you like saison and um, specifically citrus and yuzu, which is a just a different type of citrus, um, uh, I thought it was I thought it was really good and well made. I just don't know if it's the beer for me, but uh, I thought it was it was good. Yeah, I remember just taking my first sip and just being like, "Whoa, it's it's really fruity." Mm-hmm. Um, and so they definitely didn't shy off the yuzu, but it wasn't like a because uh, I know like yuzu is citrus, like you were saying. It doesn't remind me of what I'm used to when I order a beer with citrus in it. It's sort of like this was like, "Whoa, am I eating like a." Uh, you know, kind of sour pear almost kind of thing was what's, mm-hmm. what's going on with it. Um, and I don't know if I actually knew that that's what yuzu tasted like. And this has a lot of yuzu. So that surprised me. Once I got used to that taste, basically what you were saying was going on. It's like a, you know, well-made beer, just not necessarily my style. Um, I, and I do like saisons, so I don't think it's necessarily the beer style, just the, the like fruit, very fruit forward, um, a, a lot of sometimes what you do with the saison is like in the yeast and this was more in the the body i feel like um so it's just uh definitely it's just one of those beers that you drink it and you're like this is i know understand it's a good beer and i'd probably like recommend it to people that i know like this type of thing but it's probably not something i would get again yeah i think i might be a little bit higher on it than you um, because it's a saison that, uh, I, I probably would drink again and be like, this is closer to what I want, but I also am closer to 
the the fruit notes I, I would prefer those so to me this one is going to be placed at a platinum um i think this mm-hmm. is pretty solid and i wouldn't be surprised if i have it again or or would uh uh would would find it in my fridge i think this, for me this one was right on that gold platinum border but i'm, I'm willing to give it platinum because i know it's well made mm-hmm. and I, i'd probably like i would drink it again the reason i'm kind of thinking like probably won't drink it again is because I have to go to Godspeed to get it, and there are two <laughs> other beers, two other flagship beers that I like a little better from that same brewer. For sure. Uh, so it's like unlikely that I will actually end up drinking this much more because I would have to go somewhere where I know that I, I just happen to, as yeah. a personal taste, like other things. Better. However, if this becomes their most popular beer and it becomes uh, available in the LCBO, might be a little different. You might pick it up. Oh, I w- yeah, I would buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great. So great beers this week. Um, really happy. We have some more Godspeed stuff for you next week. Uh, so happy, you know, tell us if what you think about us just going through like a brewery's beers. Cause it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun for us. So tell us if you uh, also enjoy it, but Jeff, it's closing time. We got to get out of here, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's time to, time to shut it down. Uh, so with that, um, you can always reach us at arena regulars on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find us on MTG Arena itself. We'll be under the username Arena Regulars Podcast. If you want to find me personally, you can find me at Zulberg, that is Z E U L B E R G, on Twitter and Instagram. But Jeff, where can they find you? I have Twitter. It's uh, Blues Brews MTG B L U E S B R E W S MTG. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Um, go to our YouTube channel. Uh, Give us some comments, subscribe, all those things. We love your feedback, and um, we want to make the show as best we can, so please give us your thoughts. This has been the Arena Regulars. Reminding you not to spend your hard-earned wild cards on any of the cards we talked about today. Seriously. just I know you're about to craft it. Don't, Don't click that craft all button. Don't do it. Good night. All right, that's fine.